we're gonna do our best to support each other and at the end of the day like we're not gonna hold a grudge beyond the race right like this this race cannot ruin our friendship (laughs) you know we've made it this far hey and welcome back to the next episode i have a fun one today i have two guests I am speaking with Acadia and her friend Peter. So Acadia is a midwife from Maine who we have spoken to multiple times and she has attempted bear now a few times, bear 100, and most recently this year decided to take it on with her friend Peter. Now, spoiler alert, it did not go exactly to plan for Acadia, but that sort of makes the interview more on topic because what we wanted to chat about was how you can take on a race this long with a friend and what you have to do to make it work. So we actually get questions like that all the time from people who want to do massive FKTs or big training days on how to make it work with someone else because obviously you're going to get to a point in the race where you feel terrible and another time when maybe you feel amazing and your friend feels terrible. And it's really hard not to be reactive or resentful or all these emotions that can come up when you're kind of depleted and exhausted anyways. And these two did an absolutely fantastic job of communicating beforehand and saying, this is our priority. And then our second priority is the race, Um, but that their overall friendship wasn't gonna be harmed during this. And it takes a really special person to say, we might commit to 20 hours together. Uh, So Peter is a lawyer. He went to Harvard. He's newer to running, but he's taken a very good approach to kind of building up and getting ready for Barry 100 quite quickly. And he did ultimately finish the race. So we get into their prep, their race, and how they feel after. So I'll link to all of their stuff in the show notes as well as far as Instagram and where you can find them. Acadia does a lot with uh, pregnant runners and things like that. So she's a great wealth of knowledge for that. Other than that, I hope you guys are just having a great holiday season so far and getting all jacked up for 2024. Uh, I feel like this is the time to be like, whatever, I'm just going to do what I want, train how I want and enjoy it. And then it's so fun. Not the training's not enjoyable, but to get some structure back in in January. So I have a few athletes that take breaks at this time of year. And then I always get a bunch of emails right now that's like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Can we start January 1st? So I'm excited to get going with them again. I have a couple of spots open. Most of them are taken up by returning clients, which warms my heart because now I know these people really well and I get like invested in their outcomes. But yeah, a couple of spots open if anybody's interested in coaching best way to find me is probably the new running instagram where i need to like be better at doing the socials for this show because it does not reflect how many listeners and how invested you guys are so please 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 find us at trail running women pod on instagram i'll link to that in the show notes too uh so that i can be better for you guys (laughs) there maybe we need to hire someone well anyways now i'm on a tangent Um, So thank you guys for another amazing year. I might do a solo cast to close it out. And then I've got some interviews coming for January that are going to light a fire under your bums. I promise you that. Okay, that is enough chit-chat for now. Here is Acadia and Peter. Okay, welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. We have a special episode today with two guests, actually. 
One of them is Acadia, who we have had on multiple times, and longtime listeners will know her story. And we're also joined today with her friend, Peter, because the two of them decided to take on a 100-mile race together. And we've had many questions in our Trail Tips episodes about how to train with friends, how to race with friends. And this obviously is one of the biggest races you can take on with a partner. And there's going to be so many aspects to it that I'm excited to dive into, including a bit of both of your stories. So welcome to the show, Peter and Acadia. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. So why don't we get a bit of an intro on each of you first, just so that everybody knows you. Uh, Acadia, do you want to go first just with your bullet points, what you do for work and how long you've been running? Yeah, sure. Um, So I am a midwife and a running coach. I'm based out of Maine. Um, And I started running actually when I started midwifery school. So that was like 2015. And I've been running pretty consistently since then. Um, And this uh, race that we were talking about would be my was my third 100 miler attempt. Yeah, I'm Peter. I am a lawyer currently based in uh, Washington, D.C., although I've been moving around a fair bit. And I have a a pretty brief running career. I just started running in uh, just before law school. So around 2017 or 2018. uh, And I went pretty quickly from my first half marathon straight into ultra marathons. And then this race that we're discussing was uh, my first 100 miler. Wow. Okay. So that is a pretty steep incline into the ultra world. So what was it about ultras that caught your eye after just a half marathon on road? Sure. I think for me, the the biggest draw uh, at the beginning was just being on trails. Uh, Of course, you can do shorter races and runs on trails, but ultras, I feel like, you know, no matter who's running the race, people pay a lot of attention to creating a really cool trail running experience uh, going through, you know, a lot of single track or a lot of cool areas with cool views. And I just really enjoyed that aspect of ultra running. I think there was also something about the endurance and, uh, you know, just the challenge that I think a lot of people find, I certainly find with ultras uh, that wanted, I wanted to see if I could do it. And then once I did, I realized how much fun it was. Yeah, I think that's actually kind of common. And I'm not going to label you as type A, but maybe a little bit if you went to Harvard and you're a lawyer. And sometimes there's like this nice freedom in trail running, but also it takes kind of dialing in so many problems that you have to solve quickly that it really appeals to people with that mindset. Yes, exactly. I think there's a lot of overlap between the kind of challenge that I do in work and challenges that I enjoy and the problem solving that you just talked about in ultra running, for sure. So Acadia, I know for you, you have done bear quite a few years in a row. Um, Tell us a bit about your experience with that race in particular. Yeah, so this was my third attempt over four years, five years. My first attempt was in 2019. Um, I picked Bear specifically. I actually had no real intention of running 100. Like, I didn't, I wasn't interested in 100, but I was interested in Bear. Um, Peter and I grew up in northern Utah, so we both, we graduated from Logan High School, Logan being the town that Bear starts at in. Um, And so I did it in 2019. You know, it was my first, I was pretty new to ultras. It was my first really big ultra challenge um, and DNF'd at mile 69. And so got really, you know, was like, all right, I'm, you know, ready. I want to do this again. I learned so much. Um, Signed up again in 2020. Of course, the pandemic happened. And so I didn't, excuse me, didn't go in 2020. Um, And then 
same thing was ready in 2021 in the spring of 2021. So five months before bear, I fell on a run and broke my ankle. And I did end up running in 2021, but was not as, you know, trained and ready as I, I wanted to be. Um, and due to pushing that injury too hard to be ready for bear in 2021, I really just had to take like a whole summer off from doing long distances. So didn't run it in 2022. So this year, 2023, really felt like I had a, a much better chance than I'd had the previous years. I'd learned a lot. I'd done the race twice. Um, so I was really, really excited to give it another go. Quickly, before we get into kind of your story of the two of you deciding to do this together, we just had Alyssa Clark, who is a fabulous runner on the show, and she did Dragon's Back Race, which is the stage event across the spine in Wales. And she DNF'd it a few years ago. And I thought of you when I was speaking with her because she said she didn't realize how much she would compare herself to the previous year that she'd attempted it and got kind of stuck on where she DNF'd and how she was feeling compared to that. And it was an extra mental battle she wasn't expecting at all. Did you have any of that when you're going back to the same race? Oh, a hundred percent. When I ran bear in 2021, that was a huge hurdle that I didn't expect. Um, you know, I was, I was much, you know, physically I was much less trained in 2021 due to coming back from the injury. Um, and bear starts immediately with a big climb. And so right off the bat, you know, I could feel that I could feel that I wasn't, you know, physically where I was in 2019. Um, and that was a big mental hurdle to get over, you know, each step of the way, just feeling like this was so much easier two years ago. Why does this feel so much harder now? Um, and so then this year, I really, I knew that I knew that that was a possibility and I felt more prepared for it. Um, and kind of the opposite happened where we, I had done the race enough times, Peter and I had talked a lot about it. We had a really, um, well thought out cutoff time, you know, kind of like our own personal cutoff times of when we wanted to get through aid stations and we were well ahead of those. And so that felt much different, you know, the other direction where I was like, oh, hey, this is feeling better than 2019. Um, and I, you know, I was prepared for, to not, to not get stuck in the comparison trap. Um, cause that definitely hit me hard. The first, my first return after my DNF. Yeah. So interesting to have multiple goes at the same race and see, yeah, if you can work through that, especially when you've got ultra mind in the middle of it. So Peter, back to your kind of experience, you go from your half marathon to your first ultra and obviously you guys have been friends for a long time. So I'm sure you'd been following along with Acadia's journey, attempting this race. How did you decide that you wanted to do it again? And did you approach her and say, I want to team up with you for this? Or how did that look? Uh, I, I'm not entirely sure how it <laughs> happened, uh, but, but I do think it was mostly my, my fault. Uh, I had been sort of like moving up the the ultra ladder of distances. I had run several 50Ks. I had done a 50 miler. I had done 100K the summer prior to Bear. And so in some ways it was the next, you know, natural step if I was going to keep uh, pushing the distances. But part of me wasn't really sure if I ever wanted to attempt 100 miles at all. It just was, you know, Suddenly you were running overnight. It was a different beast and I, I wasn't sure. But I had been watching Acadia work 
on this race for four years or however long it was at that point with this determination that I had never seen in anyone, much less in, in her just just single-minded focus on on making this happen. And it was really inspiring. And it was also um, you know, pretty challenging when the race for, for me to watch her experience when the race didn't go quite as she planned. And so I was sort of thinking about how I could best um, support her, you know, in her endeavor to do this race. And then I thought there might be kind of a win-win where I would get to, you know, attempt my first uh, hundred miler in this very cool uh, race that is, you know, starting in our hometown, like she said, and also get to, you know, hopefully help her along the way just by being sort of a, a pacer. Um, as we can talk about later, she ended up probably helping me a lot more than I helped her, but uh, that's a that's a longer story. That's awesome. That's such a fun progression. So then when this started to come into your mind that you wanted to do it, first as a pacer, but then how did you decide to actually run the race? Yeah, that's the part that I, I still can't quite um, remember. I know I, I came to her with the idea and sort of just sort just dropped the possibility of me, you know, running it with her, running the the whole thing. Um, I think part of the reason I was excited to do that was it it takes a lot of, of work to get ready for and to, you know, prepare for a hundred mile race like that, especially one that is not where you live. And so part of me was thinking, you know, if I'm going to train, if I'm going to do all the logistical prep work and fly out there, I'm going to try to do the the whole thing. Yeah, that makes sense. And Acadia, when Peter approached you with this idea or you guys started talking about it, what was your initial reaction to having somebody run possibly the whole way with you? My initial reaction was absolutely. Hell yes, let's do this. Um, but I want to clarify that there, I've said multiple times in this process, there is not a single other person on in the world that I would say hell yes to let's run 100 miles together. Um, I've thought about that a lot and we've talked about it a lot, you know, getting ready for this race. Um, but Peter and I have a long history. We became, we met in high school biology class. I think I was a junior and he was a sophomore, um, and have been friends, very close friends ever since then. Um, and have done a lot of, you know, pretty major adventures together. A lot of winter backpacking. We've been in some pretty rough situations, um, you know, sort of like literally survival situations um, we've gotten ourselves into. And so I felt like in that way, our friendship had been tested. You know, we had, we'd, we'd done this together. We'd done things like this together before. Um, and running a hundred miles while different, wasn't going to have the same pressures on our relationship as other adventures and situations that we'd been in. Yeah, that's so interesting. I can relate to that as well. Like I have probably one friend who I would say, yes, let's do this. In an adventure scenario, I still think I would find it really hard in a race type environment to say, yes, let's do this. So even though you've done a lot, you've had a lot of experience together doing these types of adventures, what did the conversations look like when you first teamed up? And either one of you can answer this about... I guess, first of all, pace and how this was going to look kind of logistically. Well, I think we have 
different memories. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, it sort of, it sort of became clear. It became clear as we got closer to the race that maybe we weren't on the same page that we thought we were. I don't know, Peter, if, if you saw it that way. So I think early on our conversations were very much like, yes, we're going to do this together. You know, I'm trying to get a buckle. I think I was kind of like, you know, this is, this is my third attempt. Like I am here to buckle. Um, and as we got closer, we got more into the, well, what if, you know, what if Peter's feeling good and I'm not feeling good? Is he going to go ahead? What if, you know, this, that, or the other thing happens? And so our conversations got more serious as we got closer to the race. Yeah. And I mean, before the emotional side, what was, what was the plan? How did you lay that out? Um, yeah, I can talk about that. Um, and I, I have the same sort of recollection as Acadia. When when we first started talking about it, I sort of had this notion in my head that we would be running the whole race together, uh, you know, next to each other, sort of like a long run where pace is less important. And I think Acadia, with her experience attempting these 100 milers, knew, and now I have learned, that that's entirely unrealistic to do for 24, 30, 36 hours. Uh, there's just way too much happening. And so we had a, a many long conversations, usually when one or both of us was driving, going through, you know, each sort of hypothetical scenario. And so, you know, we, we talked about the differences between, well, what if one person needs to pause for one minute to adjust their vest? What does the other person do? And the plan in that scenario was to just keep going because you need to use every ounce of energy you have the most efficiently, as efficiently as you can, you know? And then we had, you know, other sort of contingency plans for, well, what if someone is hurt? Or what if someone thinks they need to stop, you know? Uh, we sort of had different ways of thinking through those things. Um, and I think we also had uh, different plans for the two of us. So for instance, Acadia was gonna go on no matter what, because number one goal was to get her across the finish line. And I was less certain about whether or not I would stop, you know, if I was feeling better than her, if I would slow down or would continue on without her, depending on on what was going on. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key. And those are very good examples. But the other part of it is just how you feel in that moment. And I just did a race with my husband, actually, who is not the person that I could run a long race with. And normally we don't even think about running together, but because I'm pregnant and he doesn't train as hard, we thought maybe this would be, well, my dad said, so are you guys going to run it together? And I was like, no, not a chance. Because when you feel good in a long distance race, you just have to take advantage of that. And then when you feel terrible, you just sort of have to walk it out and get to a place where you feel good again. And assuming that that will be matched up the majority of the time is probably a big mistake. So your mindset either has to be, we're going to go at the pace of the weakest link at all times and not let it bother us mentally. Or like you said, when the number one goal is to finish the race, you have to take advantage of the time that you feel good, even if it's a, a one minute pack adjustment. So when you're having these conversations, I find it's really easy to think, okay, so I'm the one that's going to keep going. When you got to the actual race, if the other one kept going, was it still easy to have that mindset or is it harder not to slip in a bit of resentment being the one left behind? Katie, do you want to go first? 
Yeah. Well, I think the one thing that I would just add to those conversations um, that Peter was talking about ahead of time, you know, it kind of got to a point where we talked through a lot of scenarios and it was just like, you know, there's going to be scenarios that there's no way we can come up with right now or we're going to know. And so we finally, you know, sort of the end of all of that was just like, we made this agreement that it was like, we're going to do our best to support each other. And at the end of the day, like, we're not going to hold a grudge beyond the race, right? Like, this this race cannot ruin our friendship. <laughs> you know, we've made it this far. And so I think that was really important. Um, and just feeling like, okay, we're here to support each other, but we also have the freedom to, you know, to do what we need to do in the race. Um, and as it turned out in during the race scenario, I ended up being the one struggling starting pretty early on. Um, and I had, I think I maybe even said to Peter early on that I was like, in that conversation of like, you know, we're not going to hold grudges, but I was like, man, if you finish this thing and I don't, like, that's going to be really tough because I've been trying really hard <laughs> to get this buckle, you know, for yeah. a long time. Um, and it was pretty amazing during the race how much I did not feel that. I was so excited for Peter. I was like, I was not having the race I, I wanted to have. Um, but at the same time, I was watching him execute the race that we together had planned and like perfectly execute it. And that was really exciting for me. And it was exciting, you know, at what at about halfway through, we ended up completely splitting up. Um, and then at that point, you know, I don't know how far I was behind him, but even just coming into aid stations and being able to like, you know, talk to the crew and how's Peter doing and like, where is he? And it was really, it was motivating and it was, it was just really fun to know that there was someone else out there, even though he was ahead of me, even though I knew his chance of finishing was a lot higher than mine at that point. Um, yeah, it actually, I, I really enjoyed that part of it. That's super cool. And I actually think that's a little bit specific to trail running too, like we had that wham race where I had two friends where we signed up kind of together, but never at a time was there a conversation where we would run it together, but we knew given our paces that we would, but that we were all out there to do the best we could and place the best we could. And that eventually we were going to split up. And in any other sport, the, my competitive side is so intense that it's hard to think of anything else. But in trail running, yeah, I had exactly the same feeling you did, where I was so stoked to be out there and have so much fun. And I had equal as much excitement for my friend that was ahead of me and equal as much excitement for my friend that was behind me who had tried to do this race for however many years. And it was, yeah, just a different feeling. I think that's really special about trail running in the community. Um, but anyways, that's just a tangent. <laughs> Totally. And there was, I mean, honestly, there was a little bit of relief when I finally convinced him to just go, you know, cause we, I started having, I had a hip issue that I had no idea about until it presented itself at mile 15 of this, you know, hundred mile race. And so we spent quite a lot of time together sort of managing it, you know, together early on. And when it sort of realized like we're falling off paces, I, I was really excited when I was finally like, Cause I kept, I mean, probably mile 30, I think Peter, I said, you know, you need mm -hmm. to go, like, it's time for you to go and just like do this race on your own. And so there was a little bit of relief too, where it was like, okay, he has a chance now. I'm not holding him back. Yes, exactly. And that's what I was going to say that like the, it's one thing to feel like you're feeling good and you kind of have to wait for a friend. It is a completely different story to feel like 
you need to slow down and you're being pressured to, and your friend doesn't even have to pressure you, but internally you don't want to disrupt their race. So when you're not feeling good and you're feeling like you have to push in a really long ultra, that's probably the worst part of it. So yeah. if we go back a bit to the actual race, let's go back to Peter for a bit. Tell us what your experience was like in the first 20 or 30 miles and if you guys started together and then how the conversations arose and how you handled them in the actual game time. Sure. <clears throat> the first 20 or 30 miles for me were a blast. I mean, the whole race was really fun, but especially at the beginning, the sun is shining, you're climbing through these mountains. Uh, it was It was absolutely gorgeous. And at that point, I think, like Katie was saying, especially for the first 15 miles, both of us were feeling uh, pretty good. And, and, and I had no sort of sense that, that even at mile 15, that something was acting up for Acadia. I didn't really get that read until, until later. Um, you know, initially our, it was really helpful that we had those sort of conversations because we have sort of a, a naturally different pace. I think like a, a lot of people, and I also have a stronger tendency than Acadia to go out too fast. And I, so I relied on her a lot to help keep me sort of restrained during those initial miles, which I think really, really paid off, uh, later on. And so I think by mile 30, we had gone through three or four aid stations. Um, and that was when we started having conversations about whether this race might look different than we had planned. Uh, but up to that point, I was just running and feeling great. So who brought up the conversations when things started to not feel good? I did. Um, I, so somewhere I think 25 or so, maybe there's a really steep downhill on a dirt road and I'd been sort of, I've been feeling my hip and feeling my IT band. And that was the place where it was just like totally cramped up. You know, it was run a couple of steps, get like, I had a rock in my hand was like, you know, trying to loosen up the muscles every couple of steps. And so that was sort of the point where I was like, all right, this, this downhill should be like a fairly smooth you know, we should be moving at a pretty good pace here. Um, and that was really slowing us down. And Peter was being very patient and waiting for me and helping. And a couple of times, you know, I was like laying on the side of the trail while he was massaging my glute with his rock. Um, but, you know, and so there's this downhill that was happening. There's a, you know, an uphill where it kind of, I got a little relief. And then I knew we were hitting another downhill section. And that was the point where I said, okay, we're hitting this downhill section at the bottom of this stretch is the aid station where I'm picking up my first pacer. Um, we had, we had planned our pacers so that we would each, so that in the case we split up, we each had a pacer, um, but that there was also potentially overlap. You know, we knew that there was a chance we'd be, there'd be four of us running together at any given time um, once we could pick up pacers. And so my pacer was going to be at the bottom of that hill. And and that was where I said, all right, I think it's time for you to go. I'll meet Effie at the bottom of the hill, you know, and, and we'll be good. And and Peter was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that yet. But that's where the conversation started. If you're a longtime listener, you probably know that we have been talking about AG1 for well over a year now, maybe even almost two years. And so I originally started taking it primarily for the digestion. And also I just needed to simplify my multivitamin routine. So I was able to replace 
all of the vitamins and pills that I had in the cupboard for one scoop every day. And the best part was the prebiotics and probiotics and the digestive enzymes. So all of those small details that really do help with gut support. And then it also has magnesium and B vitamins that support energy and adaptogens to balance body stress. So all of these things, if you are an athlete, a runner, even if you are new to running, they're so important to be able to recover from the workouts and continue. So it's been tested for 950 contaminants and is NSF certified for sport formulated on the latest science so i definitely recommend it to all of my athletes and also people in the hair salon and wherever ag1 is the supplement i trust to provide the support my body needs daily and that's why they've been a partner for so long so if you want to take ownership of your health it starts with ag1 try ag1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin d3 k2 and five free ag1 travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com backslash TRWP. That's drinkag1.com backslash TRWP to check it out. So Peter, how was that mentally for you thinking like, okay, so you came here to help your friend who has been struggling with this race for so many years. And now I'm in a position where like, I don't live here. I've made the arrangements to come. I've trained. She's telling me to go. How did that conversation with yourself and ultimately deciding like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go and have my own race here. How did that look? Well, it was really, really tough. And, um, you know, took about 20 miles for me to, to really make that decision. So when, oh, wow. when Acadia initially sort of, there was a moment right around 30 where she first said something like, you know, I think you might, you might need to go on without me or you should, you should go or something like that. And my initial gut reaction was just, no, like we we're here together. We're doing this. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, abandon you at the first sign of trouble, even though we had agreed ahead of time that if it came to it, we would, you know, we were at the end of the day running our own races. <clears throat> and what I was thinking at that point, especially with the little bit of ultra experience that I had was, you know, people have ups and downs and this, you know, sort of twinge in her thigh could go away in two miles which was totally plausible. And so I was sort of holding out hope that if if I just kept her moving for the next couple miles, that the pain would subside, we'd get back up to our goal paces and just cruise on through. Uh, so I ended up running with her from around mile 30 until we picked up the pacers. And then we stayed not next to each other, but but pretty close for the, until about mile 50. And it was not until then that I actually split off and started running ahead. So I'm curious at that point when you're like, okay, I'm just going to go do this. Did mm -hmm. your body physically feel different or your mindset? Like it's one thing when you're thinking so much about somebody else's race, maybe you don't feel your own pain or anything. Did, did your mindset around the race change at all when suddenly it was just you trying to finish a hundred miler for the first time? Uh, definitely. Um, it changed in a couple ways. Um, in, in some ways it got easier because I didn't have sort of like a, a mental link to, to someone else on the trail, which I had had for the first 50 miles, even if they're right next to you, you're sort of, you know, constantly aware of where they are or making sure that they, you know, haven't fallen or, or whatever, even just that like slight, you know, worry or something. I now knew that she was, was in good hands with her pacer and, and I wouldn't be able to help her anyway. Um, so, so in some ways that made it a lot easier, but I also felt pretty, you know, sad about having to leave her behind because because one of one of my personal goals had been to run the whole 
race with her. And that was no longer, you know, on the table. And so that was also a, a little bit sad. But, you know, suddenly for the next stretch, I got to sort of run my own pace entirely for the first time. Um, and and that felt pretty, pretty nice to just sort of touch into that, um, you know, feeling into my body and feeling exactly what it was that my my body was up for at any given moment. And Acadia, how did it feel for you when you were finally kind of left and it you still had quite a, a long way to go and you'd been working forever? How did your mindset change? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, before Peter left, you know, he said, you know, what he was saying about like hoping that this could change and that I could keep pushing her forward. And he really did. So we were late coming. We were pretty far off of our goals coming into the aid station where we first picked up my pacer. But then that stretch between that aid station and the next, that was like one of my favorite memories of the race because between Peter and my pacer Effie, like the two of them were so encouraging and we were kind of riding that balance of like, how much pain is too much, but it was manageable. And we really made up a lot of time and had just like a really, really good time through that stretch. Um, and then, you know, being able to pick up the, then the pacer. So Peter had his own pacer at the next aid station. Um, that's where we sort of started to like physically split. Um, we all started, all four of us started that climb together. And then, you know, Peter was feeling better on the climb. So it was sort of like, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and have a little more time at the aid station and we'll see when you get there. Um, and by the time we were coming into that aid station, the last drop into that aid station is, is another steep descent, you know, which if anybody's had IT band issues, that's like that steep descent is really what gets you. And so I was feeling it a lot. I was feeling the pain quite a lot coming into that aid station. It was cold. It was dark. Um, but I knew Peter had been there for a while. And so as soon as I got to the aid station, that was, I was like, where is Peter? Why is he still here? He needs to leave because I could, <laughs> I, I knew at that point, like, this is not a, you know, an ache that's going to go away. Right. Like this has been going on now for miles and I'm going to keep fighting for this, for this race. But like, he didn't to not be sitting here in the cold. That was basically my thought at that point. Um, and my really good friend, Jesse was there planning to pace us and she's incredible. She's an awesome pacer. I knew like she and Peter, like that was going to be a great matchup and she would get him through the night. Um, so yeah, they, it was really honestly a lot of relief to just like see him come over. And I was like, you have to go. And he was like, all right, okay, Jesse and I are going. And then I, at that point I was like, yes, go get your buckle. <laughs> Yeah, the support, I mean, you can tell how much you guys just really cared about each other first and foremost before anything and that you were both on the same page with that, which must be just the key to this, right? Is that your A goal for both of you really sounded like making sure the other person is at least happy. And I think I have no question that if Acadia said, you know, I might not finish, but I don't want to be left alone, that Peter would have decided that was more important than finishing the race. Right. Absolutely. So you start running by yourself. You're obviously in a pretty tough race. It sounds like, you know, with some injuries or niggles early on, you have to be a little bit patient. Were you in um, fear of missing cutoffs or how did your actual race look like at that point as far as time? Peter. Um, see, at that point, I think so. At that point, we, I, I wasn't in fear of missing the race's uh, cutoffs, the official cutoffs. Uh, I think Acadia mentioned before, we had sort of set up our own sort of goal pace chart and sort of our own internal, you know, um, 
cutoffs that we were using to sort of make sure we were sticking with our goals. And I think at that point, we were a little bit behind those. And so I was hoping to to make up some of that time, but I really had no uh, sense of how realistic that would be. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's harder to tell from the times, but, you know, this is now at, at 10.30 p.m. It's gotten dark. It's gotten extremely cold. The game has really changed from the first 30 miles where the sun was shining and everything was, you know, beautiful. <laughs> and so uh, I, I was really uncertain about what was going to happen next. And fortunately, picking up uh, Jesse the Pacer, I was able to just sort of scoot out of that 50-mile aid station and made up a lot of time, even just to the next uh, the next aid station, which was eight or nine miles away. And... Let's go through just the rest of your race while while we're here. What was kind of the biggest struggle or unknown? Hundred like the even if you go in, I guess, quotations proper order, hundred K to hundred mile, you're adding sixty more kilometers on to that distance. Um, so what was your biggest kind of physical and mental hurdle with the rest of the race? Yeah, it, it changed, I would say. There wasn't one thing that carried through the rest of the race. Um, for most of the night, you know, I was really blessed with these awesome pacers, but it was extremely cold. And coming in and out of aid stations was really challenging because I would come into the aid station and feel, you know, just excited to be there and see people and all those things. But even sitting for a, a minute or two and then trying to get up and go again, you realize just how freezing it was. And And I would have, you know, muscle spasms and not be able to really talk and was just so freezing that that it was, you know, hard to do anything at all. In some ways, that might have distracted me from, you know, other challenges, but but that was really difficult for me during the night. Um, and then once I was able to get going and warm up, you just sort of get in your headlamp bubble and charge on through, and that was uh, less less challenging for me. And then as the sun came up the next day, started working with other pacers, um, I started having my own sort of uh, physical injury problems, you know, all sorts of things that happened. You know, my ankles were hurting, my hips were hurting, my knees were hurting, all of that sort of stuff. And I started um, not being able to run on the downhills very effectively. And that sort of became sort of the biggest challenge for the last, I would say, 15 um, to 20 miles. Yeah, I think that's pretty normal. Um, Everybody even that has had success in 100 miles that last 10 15 miles it's just survival right moving as efficiently and as best as you can but there's going to be a variety of things what about nutrition and um stomach issues was that okay for you uh again that was sort of up and down that's something that uh acadia has really worked with me really closely to figure out how to do because as i started ultra running i had no conception of how essential nutrition is to, you know, ultra running success. I just had no clue. And it's, it's at least half the battle. And so I had, you know, a wide variety of things that I had uh, trained with things that I hadn't trained with and was, and wanted to, you know, but knew would be reliable. Um, And I was using those throughout uh, the entire race. So one of the things that, that happens for me, um, especially when it gets dark, is I'll, is I'll often start to to get nauseous, which I know is pretty common. And um, but for me, one of the things that one of the very trippy experiences of this race in particular was there were I think two times where I felt like I had to to throw up. Um, and then when I 
when I went to go do that, nothing actually happened. Uh, I just sort of like had the sensation of throwing up, but didn't actually lose any nutrition. And after I did that, I immediately felt way, way better. Um, it was this this weird experience where, you know, I at one point I was standing off the, the side of the trail and these two other runners walked by and saw me throwing up and were sort of sad for me. And then I saw them again five minutes later when I cruised past them on the trail because I was feeling so, so chipper. Uh, and so I don't really know what was going on there, but it did make me, you know, it reminded me to, to pay attention to my body and do what it was asking me to do. And that worked out really well for me. Yeah, that's funny. I can relate to that where you're like, nothing's actually happening, but I feel like it is or like it's going to, and it's just all part of it. Yep. So, Acadia, back to your race. Talk us through, and okay, so just, or what's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember. Anyways, <laughs> you've tried this race multiple times. You end up having to drop out at mile 81. Tell us a bit about between when Peter left you and when you got to mile 81 and you knew you were kind of, you got timed out. So it wasn't a decision to drop out, I'm, I'm assuming from that. Tell us a bit about that part of the race and knowing that you were fighting cutoffs and knowing that you'd worked so many years to finish this. Yeah, I mean, I think by the time Peter left, obviously, I sort of had a sense that this that was not going to happen for me um, this year. You know, it was mile 15 is just too early in a 100 miler for things to hurt like they were. Um, and, and I had sort of made peace with that, um, but not in a... You know, I felt like in a, my previous attempt in 2021, I'd been in a lot of pain, mostly resulting from the ankle injury that hadn't fully healed. And I hit a point where I sort of gave up, where it was like, all right, this isn't going to happen. It doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not going to try for it. And I think, you know, one big thing that I changed a lot this year was nutrition. I, I personally, Peter and I talked about it a lot, obviously, but I had changed a lot in my nutrition plan and that really helped my mental state in this race and just like the clarity and not getting so like, okay, I'm just giving up. Um, I also had incredible pacers that were really pushy, which was wonder, like it was, you know, it was perfect to have these pushy pacers with me. Um, and so we, through the night, you know, rest of the night, we're keeping a pretty decent pace and the middle stretch of the bear is not as steep up and downs as the early part and late part. And that really helps with the IT band issues and um, just being able to move a little bit more effectively. I'm also, uh, I really struggle in the heat. So the, the night was a lot better for me in that, in that respect. Um, and it was really incredibly motivating to get through the aid stations to just, you know, check off the aid stations that I'd seen before and get to new parts of the course. Um, and I was feeling decent for that point of the race. And so I think that, that really helped too, of just feeling like, okay, I can keep, I might, I might be too close to the cutoffs now to actually make the whole distance, but I can certainly get a distance PR, you know? Um, and I came into the Beaver Mountain aid station. That was like right around sunrise. That had always been sort of a big checkpoint goal. You know, it's, it's interesting to do a race like this where you know the trails, you know the places. I mean, Peter and I have spent so much time together up there. Um, and Beaver Mountain is a ski resort where we always skied at. And so that had been kind of like this, this big checkpoint that I'd never made it to that aid station. Um, and I knew at that point that the next two cutoffs were really close, that I was going to get 
timed out at one of the next two. Um, and my crew was there and, you know, and I kind of came into that aid station thinking, all right, I'm close enough, you know, like that was probably my moment of like, all right, you know, quote unquote, giving up, you know, I'm here, my crew's here. This is the logistical place to stop. Um, and as we came into that aid station, I guess one thing that I hadn't mentioned about this race is I was incredibly emotional. I've never been emotional like that during a race. Like, I, I don't even know how much I cried during this race. I mean, I cried not not necessarily being upset about things, just like I was just feeling all of the things, right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. I come into Beaver Mountain Aid Station, basically ready to give up. My sister had made these incredible like signs for us and she had hung one on a post that said, said, we believe in you. And I was just like, um, so I come into Beaver Mountain Aid Station, just a complete mess. I was like, I'm ready to give up. And my crew was like, hell no, you are leaving this aid station. You're making it as far as you possibly can. Um, and that was just really incredible. I don't really recollect that aid station very much because I was just, just literally sobbing. My crew changed me. They put clean socks on. They like pushed me out of this aid station and we're just like, keep going, um, you know, until you absolutely aren't allowed to go anymore. Um, and I felt great after that aid station, the next two miles were just like, boom, boom. It was like, cool. We're going to make it like, we're going to make it, you know, a couple, not to the finish, but like a couple more aid stations. And then suddenly I hit a wall that was like, unlike anything I've ever experienced in my ultra running career, where I had to think through, like, it felt like every movement of my leg for every step, I was hallucinating, like, this whole incredible scene of people camping by the river that didn't exist. I mean, I was like, deep, deep, deep in the pain cave at that point. Um, And the we were moving, I think those last two miles were like 45 minute miles or something like just, I just hit a point where I think my body was like, you know what, you've been fighting this pain, you've been up all night. I just hit hit a point where it was like, there is literally like I'm not giving up there's literally nothing else I can do I was eating well I was hydrating I just couldn't move any faster and honestly I was just kind of like this is great like this is so peaceful look at all these people that don't exist by this river that doesn't exist um and we just kind of did that Hayser and I just kind of wandered through this fantasy land until we hit a cutoff and then I was like cool now I'm allowed to sit down and I sat on a log, um, and then ATV came and picked me up. We were like half a mile out of the aid station at that point. Um, and I think that that's part of the reason that I feel that I don't have regrets about not finishing this race is that I absolutely 100% feel like I gave everything I could have possibly given to finishing, and I and I did what I could. Um, and I feel like in 2021. I had a lot of regrets about what I could have done differently or better. Um, and I don't this time around. Yeah. That's what I was going to say about how cool it is that your sister pushed you out there because you can know that you gave it every single thing that you got or that you had. Yeah, exactly. That's totally what I was thinking. So before we move on to Peter's finish, I'm wondering as a coach, if you, what you would change, why you felt that your body wasn't, physically ready as far as just a training perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like this training cycle coming into this race went really well. You know, I got linked up um, with Becca Wendell as a coach a year ago, and we've had a really good coaching relationship. 
Um, but honestly, I had not, I mean, it had been, I started working with her in September of 2022. And on our first day of training, I was running five 30 second intervals of running between walking. I mean, that's where I was in my injury recovery. And so I think that a lot of it is simply just time and really like coming, come actually fully coming back from injury, having a full training cycle. Um, and then I think that the other piece of it was, was being injured so early on and just spending so much mental and physical energy, um, in, in being in pain from the beginning of the race. Yeah. Sometimes it's just luck that you show up to the race start line feeling your best. (laughs) So Peter, when you finished this race, it's your first hundred miler, but it didn't go exactly how you were hoping, but still such an amazing accomplishment. What did it feel like to get your buckle? It was absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, the, the, the finish felt very drawn out in the sense that I felt like I was finishing for the last eight miles. Uh, <laughs> there's this long, long descent for the last eight miles, which is, which is seems at the beginning of the race, like it's going to be really easy and you're just going to cruise on into the finish line, but extremely challenging. Yeah. I was in quite a lot of pain, but the whole way in that last leg, I knew that I was going to finish. I knew that I was going to meet the cut, meet the cutoff and that nothing was going to stop me. I also knew from about, I think maybe three miles out, my pacer happened to call the people at the finish line. And I knew that Acadia was okay and going to be there because I had had very limited updates on her. Oh, that was going to be my question. If you knew if she had dropped or was going to finish or. Yeah, I I had gotten little updates from the crew, but it was harder to get information on her because I was coming into the aid stations first. Um, So I knew she was still, I, I, I knew she had, I think I knew she had dropped at that point. But I knew at that point she was going to be at the the finish line. And just like Katie was saying, I was really on the edge of tears, I think, for that last eight miles. Because every time I would picture myself coming across the finish line, I would just tear up a little bit. And then as I got towards the finish line, uh, you sort of turn, the, you you spend just a, maybe a quarter mile on a road or like on a sidewalk. And then you turn into this park. And as soon as I turn into this park, I see Acadia somehow running towards me, which I could not see how was physically possible, yelling my name, cheering me on. And of course, right then it was all over. I burst into tears. I had no idea what was happening other than I knew that I needed to you know, stay on autopilot and keep on running down this park. Uh, and so I was able to, to get through the park, turn the last corner across the finish line. Uh, and of course, it was just uh, the wildest feeling. Part of it was that uh, you know, there's so many people at an aid stage or at a finish line like that. And I've just spent 34 hours in the silence of the woods. It was completely overwhelming. There were people yelling. There was food. I was extremely excited about the food. Uh, there was just a lot, a lot happening. So it was a pretty, a pretty wild moment. And I felt pretty uh, blessed to be able to experience all that. That is such a good finish. Cause I was thinking it was going to be like, you cross the line in the dark and then like had to wait forever to find out where Acadia was and all this stuff. So um, that is just such an epic way to finish. And Acadia, did you just feel so happy for your friend, even though it didn't work out perfectly for you? Oh yeah. And that was, you know, you're, you're saying like Peter wondering where I was the second my crew picked me up from the aid station where we timed out, I was like 
finish line now like we have to get to the finish line we have to beat peter to the finish line and so we went down to the finish line and his family was there of course i've known his family my whole life um, practically you know and so just being there and i was i was just crying like everybody was coming through the finish and at one point my dad was like oh i'm so sorry like this must be really hard for you to watch these people finish and i was like no i'm they're so excited and everybody's just so happy and like it's just like i've been awake and and i had not taken my shoes off cuz i was like i'm i'm running down this finish you know like the the road into the park I was like I'm running down this road with Peter and um yeah so I was just waiting for him and waiting for him and when I saw him like you said he burst into tears I burst into tears the first thing out of his mouth was it hurts so much (laughs) I was like but you're so close um and yeah I think just just being there and getting to see him finish um was really honestly it was the number one um, memory from the entire race was watching Peter finish um, and getting to be there, even if we didn't get to do it together. That is so fun. This is such just like a good feel good story for Christmas time. I like have the biggest <laughs> smile on my face. Um, it's just so fun that you guys were able to navigate this, and it's such an, a testament to your your fitness and your friendship and being able to deal with both things. Because anybody that's run really far also knows that the ability to think logically and make decisions that are good in the time is a whole other challenge. And it sounds like you both did such a good job about talking beforehand and and then executing that. So before we finish up here, do each of you want to give your like most important piece of advice to trying to do a race with a friend? Peter, why don't you go first? Ooh, I might need a second to to think about that. (laughs) Okay, Acadia, do you have one in the top of your mind? And it can be what we've already talked about for sure, if that's her. Yeah, I mean, I think the very first thing is to pick the right person. Pick the right person in the right race. I think if we had truly been trying to complete a 100-mile race together, you know, like side by side the whole way, this was not the race because I have such an attachment to this race and to finishing this race. Um, That became apparent right before, you know, I think – in the future, if we were ever to say, like, we actually just, like, want to try to finish 100 together, it should be sort of a, you know, a neutral race, right? One that neither of us maybe have done before or uh, don't have any specific attachments to. Um, and then having a crew and a pacer, you know, you're talking about having, being able to think through things and make decisions. But, like, the crew and the pacers, as anyone who's done big races, they make such a big difference. And having their, you know, um, knowledge and input really was helpful in our communication with each other as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And just to give Peter a little extra time, one thing that comes up for me when you say that too, is if if you want to do this with a friend, but there's any part of you that feels like, especially if you're going to do an FKT or some big thing where you, you do have to wait for each other. If there's any part of you in your gut that feels like something is off in the communication and that nobody really wants to address it, I just wouldn't even do it. And mm-hmm. I've seen friends go to start lines like that and then end up being on different pages and one person taking off and the other person not and all sorts of things. So I think you have to totally feel that you are being 100% transparent and that both people trust in the game plan. But anyways, that's a side note. Um, and being you, able your... to... Oops, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say being able to leave it out there. You know, I think that was 
the key piece of our communication was saying, no matter what happens, this is about this race and not about our friendship. Yeah, totally. That's such a good, good point. Um, Peter, what's your biggest piece of advice? Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with everything both of you have said. And I think for me, in addition to all of those things, a big, a big thing that, that changed it for me was, was really being honest with myself both ahead of time and during the race about what my goals were and what I was comfortable with. And I say that because it's one thing to communicate with the other person, you know, the friend you're running with and and have a plan and sort of know what's going on. And it's totally different to be okay with that and to really sort of own what you're doing in that moment. And so, you know, I had sort of a couple of different phases in this race. One part where I decided that I was going to stick it out with Acadia, you know, from mile 30 to 50 even though I might have been able to run a little faster. And I felt really good about that. And then when it came to mile 50 and it was time to go, even though it broke my heart a little bit, I also felt really good about that. And so I think really taking some time, especially ahead of the race, to reflect and be really brutally honest with yourself about what it is you want and what your plan is, I think can go a long way in terms of making you feel good about it when the moment comes. Yes, exactly. And that's kind of exactly what I was alluding to is that like, if you feel in your gut that maybe you're not being honest with yourself as well, like that, it will. Blow Absolutely. Up. <laughs> yeah, totally. I would also add, um, make your friend hire a coach who's not you. <laughs> <laughs> if we're being completely honest, it was hard to coach somebody else that was running the same race that I was training for. That was tricky. That's funny. Yeah, totally. Bit of a confusing one there. So last question for both of you, if you could describe running an ultra with a friend in three words, what would they be? Acadia, you're up. Oh, man, I thought this through and, you know, here I am. Um, I think that it's the, I mean, friendship. I, I don't even know. I don't know how to have the, the three words, but like, the, the deepness that your friendship, friendship and communication and the way that your relationship can grow. Maybe friendship, communication and relationship. Yeah, I like that. Or grow, growth. Yes, or growth. It was what you said is really good too. Oof, yeah. Um, Peter, thoughts, three words. Inspiring is my first one. Uh, watching someone else do something like that is amazing. Uh beautiful and uh i guess challenging <laughs> challenging is not quite enough of a word but <laughs> something along those lines yeah no well i want to thank both of you so much for your time um this has been really fun and like i said we always get questions about people that want to navigate a, a relationship and racing and friendship and all of that stuff so this has been so awesome and you guys just absolutely nailed it, whether the race outcome was what you wanted or not. And Acadia, I really hope you're going back to Bear and that you're going to finish that damn thing. I'm really rooting for that story as well. Uh, if both of you want to plug Instagram or where people can find you or if you don't have one, you can <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, Trail Running Baby Catcher, and I'm pretty public on there so people can find me there. Um, I also have my coaching website, which is Canyon Run Coaching, um, if folks want to reach out through that. And I'm on Instagram at uh, Surprise Cowboy. Okay. <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. 
<laughs> well, thank you guys both so much. And thank yeah, you. best of luck in all of your you. future races. And thanks again for the time.